everybody, and welcome to Post-Credit Conversations, a movie podcast where we believe that a film is only as good as the discussion it inspires. My name is Kale Prindle. And I'm Slade. How are you today, Slade? I'm a little tired. I won't lie. Um, but I'm pretty good. I I am amped about this movie today. So Are you? I am. It's giving I've me... been hearing a lot of good buzz about it. There, there has been a lot of good buzz. Um, I got nothing. I have no... no I thought you were going to follow up with something. Ah. Like, yeah. But no. Okay. Well, it ain't going to sting, that's for sure. I mean, I hope it's as sweet as honey. Oh, Lord, I hate this. <laughs> but it's okay. Is it not the... I'm sorry you hate it. I think it's the bee's knees. I think you need to pull the beeswax out of your ears and listen to what I'm saying. Uh, I don't know. This is that, hard. That this stung. is hard. That, that stung. Good. Uh, oh, man. Let's get to the good stuff. I feel like I went full Eeyore for that. Whatever. All right. This week, we watched 2007's B-movie Slade. Hey. Tell us about this movie. Oh, I'm going to tell you about this movie. I cannot wait I hope to so. hear how this goes. B-movie was released in 2007. Like all great pieces of art, B-movie was famously not understood in its time. Grossing modestly at the box office, this socio-political dark comedy thriller was helmed by Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld's scripts and subsequent performance as titular Barry B. Benson were both snubbed in the Oscar race for Best Screenplay and Lead Actor, respectively. Boasting an all-star ensemble cast that includes Renee Zellweger, John Goodman, Matthew Broderick, and down-and-out voice actor Patrick Warburton. The B-movie's cutting wit and social commentary led the charge in what promised to be a new age of cinema. With the likes of Spotlight, Moneyball, and The Big Short taking clear pointers and riding this giant's shoulders. Barry B. Benson is a bee. With his whole life ahead of him. Waking up one morning, Barry greets the day by driving to his graduation ceremony with his best friend, Adam Flayman. Voiced by Hollywood's greatest leading man that should always be the leading man's friend, Matthew Broderick. Upon graduation, Barry is thrust into adult life, like so many of us are, at that end of our studies time of our life. He is given the choice of several jobs. Instead of succumbing to society's pressure and that of his family and friends, our everyman opts for one last hurrah before being sucked into a life of monotony. Taking a daring fly forward, or rather, a bee-bound, if you will, he flies with the ace pilots of his hive to explore the outer world, marveling at what he has been, uh, uh, sorry, marveling at what has been outside his whole life. Young Barry is caught up in the world's splendor, but in true biblical fashion, this prodigal son loses his way. Separated from ace fighter pilot corps, Barry finds himself in the first of several belly of the whale moments. Trapped in a rainstorm, in a flower pot, and forced to interact with another race. The human race. Forming an unlikely and taboo relationship with Vanessa Bloom, a flower shop owner. Barry learns the first of several lessons that challenge what has been nurtured into him through dogma since birth. Talking to humans might not be <laughs> so bad. Barry... With his newfound love of the human world, swims in an endless sea of boredom and never chooses a career. His Dante-like existence, minus the job at the convenience store, stops when he finds that honey, made by bees, for bees, is being culturally appropriated by the human race. Barry has found his smoking gun and the diem for his carp. In an exciting and fast-paced corporate espionage drama, Barry finds the evidence needed to bring justice for his people. But he is not without detractors that seek to hold him back. Such as Ken, Vanessa's actual 
human boyfriend, who suspects Barry and Vanessa of a love affair. And rather than accepting the challenge that's in the air, Ken go... And rather than accepting the... Oh, <laughs> that makes more sense. And rather than accepting the change that's in the air, Ken goes as far as to make an attempt on Barry's life. Whether because it's his worst or because of the real human emotion of anger and hatred that he was able to tap into, the Patrick Warburn performance as Ken has always followed him. Through the twists and turns of this genre-defying film, it has only been recently that the B-movie has received its due from fans and critics alike. Like the malign classics of old that were misunderstood in their time, Sunset Boulevard, Citizen Kane, and even Casablanca, B-movie is a testament to the honesty of filmmaking, and that B-movie doesn't care what humans think. So, Kale, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> That was four and a half minutes. It would have been longer, but I started typing it 15 minutes before this. Wow. All right. All right. Okay. What did what? I think? All right. Where would you like to start? I, I wish I knew. All right. Uh, just personal history. I'll go personal history on this. Okay. So... I remember when the first trailer for this came out, and the original trailer features Jerry Seinfeld dressed as a bee, being like pulled around on cranes, and uh, then being dropped, and then Steven Spielberg is there, and they're trying to figure out how we're supposed to shoot this movie, and I kept, I remembered that thing, and this is just really bizarre, like really bizarre, Seinfeld? After his show had ended, his show that was extremely, massively popular, and then he does nothing for however many years, out of the public eye, and then this is the return of Jerry Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. um, what, a, what a way to, to make things happen. Uh, I never saw it when it came out. Uh, for some reason, I thought it might be stupid. And then... <laughs> I don't know where I got that idea. I don't and know then, either. Uh, I don't know either. <laughs> and then we get whatever's been happening over the last couple of years uh, where people are going back to this film and saying, this movie's amazing. And I was like, okay. Still hadn't seen it. So um, this was a new experience for me <laughs> watching this film. Also, I started watching it at 5 a.m. this morning. Hmm. Uh, I don't think that really distracted me much from anything. But what did distract me is I felt like I had to document it. I'm like, I'm watching B-Movie at 5 in the morning. This has to go on Instagram. <laughs> so I, was, I had to... I actually backed up and watched the first little bit of this movie multiple times to make sure I, I got every... Everything, every important detail that I might need for the uh, for the remainder of this uh, not movie. It should be called B film. Thank you. It, yeah, it, it's just a for you. It's a work of B cinema, and you know, I as well did not see this movie when it came out in two thousand seven, and I'm kind of glad. I think. I think this movie needed the time that it's had to really enter <laughs> the consciousness uh, of, of people and of the industry. Because, you know, I, I don't know what your top DreamWorks movie is. Because um, there's some good ones. And then you forget the others that are also made by DreamWorks. And I, I feel this movie got kind of sloughed off. Um, as maybe some people thought it should. But upon my first watch, which was a while ago, because I have kids. As do you, but yours are <laughs> but yours are older, so I can understand maybe I, avoiding I, not, I never offered this to my children. <laughs> and that's a shame. I put it on a Is whim. It? 
I put it on a whim, and... You know, there is something about this movie. At least the first 20 minutes. That is very... Enchanting. Enchanting? Um, Enchanting. Alright. Um... The world building of this movie, I think, is way ahead of its time. I don't know if I can do this for too much longer. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Where do you want to go? No. Where do you want to go? None of this. Okay. This movie is garbage. All right. Uh, No. No, it's not. Okay. Let's do a few things. Let's do a few things that are halfway serious, and then we can do whatever. DreamWorks movies. Okay. I know that I'm so afraid. I was trying to bait you with that one. I meant that one. I'm like, maybe I can get him talking seriously if I mention DreamWorks movies. Oh, I have serious comments to be made. I know. But, uh, okay. DreamWorks. Let's talk DreamWorks for a second. DreamWorks struggles to have consistently good product. Um, That's been true almost since the beginning. They did their two... Uh, 2D animated movies in the 90s. Then they do Shrek, which of course blows up, and everyone's like, this is amazing. Hooray for Shrek. But then DreamWorks has this weird period where they're doing stuff like Shark Tale. And I think Robots was them. And Madagascar, which, eh, whatever. But then Madagascar 2 and 3. They are all over the place as far as like the actual quality. DreamWorks is a company or at least was in the 2000s dreamworks was a company it's like we don't need to have good movies we are banking on our star talent that is what they built as their company from the very beginning it's like no one knows what this is um but we've got a lot of big names whether that's uh michael myers and eddie murphy and shrek or uh will smith and shark tale or in this case seinfeld and Way too many other good people, like Patrick Warburton, like John Goodman, who... John Goodman and Patrick Warburton, when we get to things that are good in this, they are about... They are number one and number two good things in this movie, are those two and their voice performance. They are fantastic. But DreamWorks is all over the place. Best DreamWorks movies, hard to find. Um, I like Penguins of Madagascar a lot. I think it's extremely funny and very good. And it's insane, but it, it works in its insanity. I think that the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy is very good. Um, Kung Fu Panda. Oh, yes. The Kung Fu Panda movies are also very good. Okay, so there's a few in there. Uh, And I'll even give you Captain Underpants. And The Croods. Pretty good movie. And The Croods. The Croods is okay. I can take or leave The Croods, but, you know, I like it better than Megamind, probably. Okay, I don't know about that. Megamind's awesome. (laughs) Megamind is a legitimately great movie, but whatever. Anyway, my point is DreamWorks, especially when this movie came out in 2007, I feel they had not really figured out how to make things consistently good. I think since then they've gotten better at it um, with a lot of the stuff they've done. This movie is... uh, It's weird. Everything about it is weird. And I tried. I tried to give this movie... I'm like, don't hate on it because it's a B-movie. Don't hate on it because you know it's insane. Don't hate on it because you know that a bee is going to fall in love with a human and that's going to be like a major thing in this. Don't let that get you. Just watch it and take it for what it is. And what it is is cheap, not funny schlock, which is exactly what Jerry Seinfeld typically makes in my opinion. I'm not a big Seinfeld fan. Let's throw that out there. He's a comedian that I've never understood how he got to be as popular as he is. Because he's not funny. I just can't right now. (laughs) He's not. He's the worst part of his own show in the 90s. Like, every other character is better than him. And I've just never understood why this guy works for people. I don't get it. And the vast majority of the jokes in this movie are so dumb. So dumb. Well, it's an awful lot of pomp under the circumstance. <laughs> what? Fine. Like, it's... It wouldn't be that bad if you didn't just know, like, ooh, that was the joke. But every joke in this movie 
is like being flagged down like with a mile to go before you get to it. it's like here comes the joke and then you get the joke and then there's nothing that happens afterwards so you say did you see the joke like it's not good it's bad also random there's like th- at least three moments in this movie that the only humor is like ha a person fell over. It happens for the DreamWorks logo with the person falling off the moon. It happens with this sweet old man who's just changing a light bulb who just falls off his ladder for no reason except for us to laugh at him. And I think there's a third one in there. Um, it's so irritating. Uh, I've got other things I could rant on for a while. I'm glad you're smiling. Uh, you're having fun with this. And I'm glad you I, are. I, I... <laughs> I secretly wanted this to happen, so I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Look. <laughs> I understand <laughs> your criticisms. I hear your criticisms. I think a few of them... I think I'm going to hate what you're going to say here. With time, with time, I hope you can see the light. I'm not going to defend every joke in this movie. (laughs) No, and you shouldn't have to defend every joke, even in a good comedy, because every good comedy has jokes that don't work. So, (laughs) I'm going to offer some differing opinions, and these are serious. (laughs) I think the jokes in this movie are really funny. Not for the whole movie, but again, like the first half of the movie, I think is really funny. I, I, there are jokes that, yeah, the setups, whatever, but I think, because I agree with your critique of Jerry Seinfeld, of, I don't think listening to him is actually funny, like in his show or anything. And it took me a watch or two for B movie to be like, is Seinfeld, is Barry <laughs> B. Benson? actually funny or is it just jerry seinfeld and it is just jerry seinfeld but there is something about his jokes at least for the first half of the movie that i think are legitimately hilarious because those one-liners they are tight one-liner jokes and then the movie just keeps on going and they are so b-centric which is annoying Maybe. But man, is it on topic and focused. If I were to look at a student's paper and grade it, and they turn me in a, an essay called B-Movie, and the premise is, <laughs> it's a movie about bees. <laughs> and they had this tide of writing on the bee jokes, on the insect jokes, I would be a little generous with grading, at least that portion. Uh, you know, well, it, it could get derivative would. near the end. No, and it's like you gotta no. leave it. You gotta leave it behind. But those drugs are tight in the beginning. They are so tight. Stop right there. <laughs> we teach middle schoolers. I know. If a <laughs> if a middle student, schooler could produce yeah. this, I would be so impressed. <laughs> yeah, if it was a middle schooler, not Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld in his fifties after a long. That just shows he's great. Career. That just shows oh, he's, he's no, done you're his not homework. being serious. You're I, not. There's no way. I think it's uh, hilarious. I think the jokes are funny. I'm not. Name I'm at not. least. T- give me two. <laughs> give me two jokes from this movie. Like, that one's good. I like that. I'm not saying I didn't laugh I, for this I, whole thing. I did. I chuckled I'm like not, a couple I'm not of times, saying the quality is, give is me better at least than two, the best. Two jokes that are good in this movie. When he's at the bee farms and and he finds them, and he's like, we moved here because our queen moved here. And he points to the no. picture. That's a drag queen. That's not a queen. That's a drag queen. I think that's really funny. <laughs> I think that's really funny. It might be dated. I don't know. But I, I chuckle every time. The other one is when he's trying to convince his parents about the whole conspiracy. And he just shouts in the Jerry Seinfeld way. And I will say, the Jerry Seinfeld delivery, I think, does not do it the line justice. But this, again, speaks to how funny the line is. Is 
this is worse than anything the Bears have ever done for us. I, I think that line is so hilarious. And there's some one. great callbacks to Bears. There are. Though that brings up a question. Now I don't have. I don't want to get <laughs> bogged down in the logic of this movie because it's insane and it won't go anywhere. And I know that, but there are just a small, small handful of things that the logic bothers me. Okay. His hatred of bears. He's a bee who lives in Central Park in New York City. What experience does he possibly have with bears? He does this throughout. Like, you know, the bears there. The bear. Why would you use bears to represent if they're our enemies? They're not your enemy, dude. You live in Central Park in New York City. There are no bears. How well are you connected? From your hive to other hives across the country. I think by the end of the movie, since he goes all the way to L.A. and all the way back, I'm going to say not very connected because he could have made a phone call and someone else could have helped hijack flowers and bring him back to New York. So I don't know or understand how he knows so much about bears and how bears might attack a hive when he's never had that happen. They got hit... uh, Maybe with something else because they're in a park. Maybe something else happened. He doesn't know anything about bears. He's assuming. He's living... Here's what he's doing. He's living off a media narrative of bears. And he hates bears because of how the bee media has presented them throughout his lifetime. Because it's the only explanation for why he has such a (laughs) hatred for bears. Because he has never had a personal run-in with a bear at all. There's no way. I'm going to counter this. That was a fair critique, and I appreciate it. Cultural memory. The oppression. (laughs) The oppression that his ancestors, before there was a New York, mind you, because bees, I don't know if it's stated in this movie, have been around, what, 113, I think that's stated in the movie, 113 million years. The cultural memory of the predators that have done them wrong still lives within them, and he remembers the heritage, the struggle, and the trauma has trickled down through the generation scale, and... Yes, maybe Barry B. Benson doesn't have the firsthand experience of of bears. Right. What what of his parents? Grandparents. His great grandparents times like three. So it's a generational trauma. It's a generational trauma. It's a generational trauma. And and there are other hives, as you stated, that they are in connection with. They aren't all city bees. They aren't all the country... They aren't all the city mouse. So, some of them are country mice. You know? And they have different struggles, like bears. Maybe a cousin struggling out in yep. the California. I don't know where bears are. But... <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not a bee. And you know what? I feel a little uncomfortable even speaking for them myself. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Uh, but anyway, your your point is taken. Okay. Look. Yes, there is a there is an uncomfortableness. You, you said you were uncomfortable with the human-to-bee relationship in this movie. Speak more on now, that. I, to be fair, no. Or, or not uncomfortable, care. but... That's, is this just this, another logical things. thing? <laughs> he, no, they've never dealt with bears. That. How can that be? <laughs> no, because the whole thing with uh, Vanessa Bloom... Like, that's just one of the few things I knew about this movie before watching it. It was like, it's weird. It's like they're in a relationship, but that's a bee and a human. Like, I just knew about it. I don't care one way or the other that it exists there. Because the movie, uh, aside from throwing some very strange glances between the two characters, and Barry, I think, uh, does say a thing or two about, like, how he's kind of obsessed with her. But it's like, the movie doesn't, like, cross any weird lines that make us honestly stop and consider, like, what that relationship would be. So I don't much care that they try to do that. I think that, you know, Patrick Warburton is one of the few sane people in this movie. And that's saying something for the guy who's constantly screaming and lighting a bathroom on fire. No, because he knows how stupid this is. Whimsy. No, you are an adult identifying with an adult in a movie. 
Yeah. How dare you? Because if a, a bee's in my apartment. Cinema. <laughs> he is literally allergic to bees. He's te- he says this in his first encounter. He's going to smash Barry with the boot. And his girlfriend says, no, don't do it. Uh, he's like, I'm allergic. It could kill me. And she says, why is your life any more valuable than his? The only thing I don't don't look at me like I that, like she's it. right. Yes, no, <laughs> no. And <laughs> this is gonna be the loudest episode we've ever done. Uh, <laughs> and then my only complaint with Ken, the only thing I think Ken sees incorrectly, is for some reason he thinks that this woman is worth his time to pursue when she outright tells him your life. Is no different. You, a human person who I guess is trying to find a job the whole time. He keeps talking about a resume, so we never know what's going on there. But she keeps telling him, you, a full-grown adult that I am in a relationship with, your life is no more valuable to me than this bee that I haven't met, that has not spoken with me at this point, who we have no interactions whatsoever I would just as soon you die than it die. Ken needs to turn and just walk away. No. Because this is not no. a relationship that's Look. worth his time. It's not. It's not. Look. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm just going to disagree with you. It's okay. It's okay to disagree and be wrong. I- <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Look, yes, could Vanessa have handled that particular interaction better? Maybe. I I understand, but I'm going to I'm going to say, look, Ken, Ken is dealing with a a little bit of fragility, a a little bit of fragility. And, And look, no one likes being called on their stuff. No one likes it. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And he needs to check his biases. Because Vanessa's right in line. It's not easy being a justice warrior like Vanessa and having to tell someone you are intimately connected with, yo, this is the line. This is not okay. He's minding his own business here. Not trying to hurt not not trying to hurt you. Yeah, you differ in opinion. But the stinger is for self-defense. And you're you're fine. You're fine, Ken, but Ken overreacts. Okay. He he attempts to murder Barry twice. <laughs> he doesn't care right. about his own life. He's willing to give it up in a pursuit of whacking a bee. <laughs> and Barry treats him with kind, responds in kind. Even even in the bathroom, he turns it into a game. He plays it cool. He surfs. He surfs on the toilet water, Kale. He surfs. He rides the wave of prejudice against him and says, I will not succumb to your level, Ken. I got to make a few random comments about this bathroom scene. (laughs) Again, I shouldn't be looking for anything even similar to logic in this movie, but I was sitting there watching it. He's in the toilet. The toilet flushes. And he is able to extend his arm all the way up from the water. All the way up to grab this nail file, which is sitting on the, the toilet seat. Now, I have a handful of questions. One, how to, why is there a nail file on the toilet seat? Maybe it got knocked there in like all of the ruckus going on, but it never like shows that. I'm wondering what's going on with Vanessa that her nail file was just sitting on the toilet seat. It's very strange. It makes no sense. But less, what makes even less sense is that Barry's arm can apparently extend beyond the centimeter or so that it should be in real life to go all the way from the water up above the the toilet seat to grab this nail file, pull it down and start surfing. It irritates me. Uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. No, this is the kind of thing like a small child would come up with. Like, you should go surfing in the toilet. And the people making the movie was just like, sure. And then someone might have stepped in like, wait, how is this going to work? Like, he's stuck in the water. He can't fly. 
and uh, his his arms would be like a centimeter long at the most. How is he even reaching it? And they say, shut up. Who cares? This is B-movie. And so they just break the laws <laughs> of physics and reality. And yes, because no animated movie has ever done that before. <laughs> you know, but most of them these days, animation is sophisticated enough that if they're going to do that, they make the whole thing silly and goofy. They usually don't break it that bad. That being said, other thing with Ken. And another thing with Barry. The fact I'm, I, I try to figure out how stupid Barry is as a, as a character, like his actual intelligence level throughout this whole thing. Because when Ken is getting frustrated with Barry, Barry seems like, well, what's your problem? I don't get it. And like Barry has no, he's not in a relationship, right? He's never been in one before. He apparently doesn't understand jealousy. He, if he's not intending to be in a relationship with Vanessa, he'd be like, Hey, Ken, I'm dude, you seem really tense. I'm not here trying to steal your girlfriend. I just think she's really great. She saved my life. I said hi to her. We've been friends. There's nothing else to show that they're doing anything romantic. But I understand why Ken would be worried because his girlfriend said your life is not as important to me as a bee. I get it. It's ridiculous. No. Ken's no. right. And Barry Look, Ken is, is not right. Barry doesn't. Oh my God. He is. And Barry does not understand it's how not to interact Barry's with people. It's Barry's responsibility. To assuage no, Ken's fears, Ken needs to grow up. He's a grown ass man without no. a job, without a job, without a job. Who can't get a resume? And I get it. He, look, they wrote Ken, and I will give you this, even though I don't think you've gone this far yet. You have other bones. Oh, I've got other bones, stuff locked and loaded, ready to go. Bones to pick. <laughs> but Ken is very toxic masculinity for sure. He is threatened. He is threatened by a bee. If that is not a great metaphor for right, toxic masculinity, said, I don't know what is. Because his girlfriend says you are not worth any more than a bee. Because she that holds sanctity for all life. All life. Mm, see, no. See, I'll, I'll give you this for the toxic part. The fact that they talk about him like playing tennis against like her grandma or something. And just and like, not. Oh, and he and doesn't. Back. He doesn't. That is toxic. Like. That is I toxic. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are you waking up your child? Not yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll be much quieter now. He is. And... <laughs> Slade just got chastised for being very loud. I got a look. And and it you was, got a look. It was it was well deserved. Okay. Look. So when you've got Ken, and he's got his moment. And by the way, quick de- detour away from the character, Patrick Warburton, amazing. He's so good. He is. When he sits down and he's just like, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> Normally I sit right there. I see what you're doing. He just He's able to go to this frantic mode, but also when he hits that deep voice of just like, listen, it's so good. And then it just like grows and escalates from there. And it's fantastic. But this is what I mean by Barry. Barry seems to not even understand what he's stepped into. And maybe he doesn't understand because he's a stupid bee with low intelligence. So maybe he doesn't understand. I think, um, I think someone missed the point of this movie. <laughs> oh, no, I did not. I did not. This is a movie that is upholding Jim Crow type attitudes against any form of social justice at all. I did not miss the point of this movie. More on that in just a minute. Patrick Warburton is a treasure. He's a great voice actor. He kills it in this movie. John Goodman also, as the lawyer, incredible voice work. No. All right. Where would you like to go next? (laughs) I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm gonna make my case right now <laughs> for what I do actually really appreciate about this movie, and I've been a hundred percent truthful up to this point. Yes, have I been hyperbolizing a little bit? Yes, a hundred percent. But I think. Some of the messages in this movie, whether intentional or not, present a very complex view of life because of Barry B. Benson. 
Say what you will about the man voicing him. That's fine. Witty, charming, whatever. But (laughs) not all the time, because that's life, okay? Barry's hero's journey in this movie, I think, is actually quite interesting. Because a lesser movie, a lesser movie that critics might Uh praise... Would be so skewed in its presentation. We get Barry. He wakes up. Okay. Boom. Time to enter the world. He he doesn't want to do that. Okay. Standard so far. Okay. Whatever. He meets a human. He goes off on his last little adventure. Blah, blah, blah. He forms this connection. Any lesser movie would make that the thrust of this movie. Now, not B-movie. B-movie doesn't care, because they're going to give us all of life, because a bee's life is short, my friend. A bee's life is short. We don't have time to just show the nice things of him going against the grain here. No, he meets Vanessa. We get to see a complex relationship, not a romantic one, but one that's friendly and, and dynamic with Patrick Warburn's Ken and everything else. But... If you remember, and I'm sure you do, that that's not where Barry's <laughs> focus lies. He's not just infatuated with Vanessa. He just enters in this 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 state of not doing anything. He doesn't want a job, but he's not doing anything either, except hanging out with Vanessa. It's not until what Vanessa pulls out honey or whatever. He's like, "Where's that?" From? He's with her at the grocery store. Yeah, yes, and he sees it. And then Barry finds a spark for life. And he's like, wait a second. There is injustice in this world. What? My people are being unfairly treated here. We are not being compensated. We are being They're used. being exploited. And being exploited. But the movie doesn't even end there. It goes further. Because, yes, there's the suing. And he finds justice for the beefs. A lesser movie. <laughs> Would have ended there. Nah. There's consequences. Even if you fight for something right. For justice. There's still consequences. There's things that will happen. And we get to see those things in this movie. Which is flowers dying. Because the bees. With their big fat check of winning justice for themselves. Go off on a different path. Against their programming. Which is actually a very complex thing. Because... In a movie that's trying to say, hey, going against what you've been programmed to do, which is work until you die, which is very clearly established in this movie through many bee puns. Mm -hmm. The movie doesn't end by saying, but sometimes you need to go against that. No, it brings it back like, but sometimes we need people to work and do these things or else things are going to die, including you, bees, because part of this is a part of you. And so there needs to be that balance. And the movie ends with Barry finding a balance of the bees are still working, but he's also finding justice for other animals who have been wrongly maligned in a really interesting balance that that never says yay this or nay that, but shows very complex ideas. Two things. Not necessarily intentional. <laughs> Two things. The first, when you talked about how a bee's life is short, it's another one of the few times I thought this movie was funny. When they talked about their three days in high yes. school and three days in college, and good thing he took a day off. And he's like, oh, you, you were different when you came back. That was funny. Yes. Okay. So oh, let me make goodness. sure I'm tracking your argument correctly. This movie, <laughs> because it's not a lesser movie. You don't have to use what my it garbage. Is, I won't for all. I just want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. Shows that if you go too far fighting for social justice, that what you end up with is a world that collapses. And what you really need to re-correct the world and put it back in balance is to go back to the status quo before you ever made any trouble. Because otherwise... Who knows what could happen? And these bees, you know, it's just in their DNA. 
they're just supposed to work until they die. It's it's just a part of who they are, and they need to accept that. Is that what you're saying? Because it sounds that... like that's what you're saying, and that you approve of that message. No. <laughs> let me let me clarify. And how dare you? How dare you? Where did I miss it, Slade? It sounds like Look, that's what you said. Clearly, bees are not the best metaphor to get this message across. Because it is in their DNA to work and make honey. The message is that in struggling for what's right and completely dismantling all systems, which is a human thing. There are people that want to dismantle every system that has ever done wrong, which, hey, there are systems that need to be changed or eliminated, but there are going to be holes in whatever those systems are doing, right? And if they are eliminated, there will be consequences. Could be good, could be bad. That's what I'm saying. In this one, in this particular movie, it shows a bad consequence of bees finding, for whatever reason, some sense of like, well, I guess we don't have to work anymore and make honey. And then we forget like, oh, there were important things that, they lost the joy in their work because of that. They forgot the joy. Like a musician that's just cranking out albums, but they're all kind of the same, you know? They lost the spark, the joy, right? And it takes seeing those holes to bring them back and like, oh, we went too far this way. We're not going back to what it was before because that didn't work. There needs to be adjustment. Except that it doesn't make any adjustments. There's no indication that anything has changed. Yeah, because the just court case there. was still good, and they're, he's representing other animals. Yeah, but that's <laughs> like not the, the same. Yeah, It's it not is. like they're making money off their honey now. They never imply that or show that. It's just like, oh, we realize that now they're that we're not here to... They're getting a fairer deal. They're getting a fairer deal. What's, it's the same a deal that was there field. before. No, it's, it's not. It's the same deal... No, yes, it's not. It is. Mm. Did this did movie Honey Farm or whatever open back up? I don't think so. There was an understanding, the... collective worker rights, <laughs> bargaining power. Except it. We had Labor Day a few weeks show ago. That it never shows that. I Here's think it was implied. They never. Was it? <laughs> they never showed that Vanessa truly <laughs> thought that Ken's life. Was lesser than a bee. <laughs> so sorry. Right. Go on. All right. We can change lanes. Oh, no. No, we're <laughs> on this now. So here's the deal. This movie keeps touching on things that actually are interesting topics. I think that's something that uh, I wouldn't call it a strength because this movie has no idea what it's doing with it. Um, but it actually touches on interesting topics. And I wondered how that would actually play out. Um, because when it starts to talk about like the bees at the honey farm and how they're getting, you know, hit with the smoke and then the, the honey is getting swiped away and, and, and Barry is like, Whoa, what the heck? This is so weird. You made that. And they just took it from you. And he talks about how they're kept in these camps, right? The language in this movie is implying that there is a racial element in this setup. That's where this movie almost... Groundbreaking. 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 And how it supports it and says, you know what? They should keep working for free. And here's why I think this. This movie does so much work to bring in all this racial idea. So many... (laughs) interesting potential points you know how hard it is to get people to listen to you say yeah the cleveland indians should not be called the cleveland indians because it's cultural appropriation this movie actually gives a pretty good way of explaining that by saying you should not take our honey and market it with a bear because bears often destroy our hives you are taking something that we do and you're crediting it to somebody else and that's messed up. That's terrible. Traumatic generational Right. I'm with memory, you on that. My I remember. Friend, generational my trauma. Uh, right. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. my evidence. Barry, <laughs> even when he's in the trial, goes so far as to talk about being enslaved for the white man are words that he says. 
And then to get yes. a very bizarre gag when it pans over to the lawyers and the one black character in this movie, who is one of the lawyers, like, scoots away from the white people. Kind of funny, but really weird under the circumstances. We are talked to throughout this movie that they are being exploited for their labor, that they're not getting paid. He refers to them, at all the bees, as slaves for the humans. And so what you get when he wins this court case is basically this movie explores, okay, so what do reparations really look like? They get all of their honey back. So this would be like someone saying, you took the land from us, give us our land back. So then they did. We worked for you as slaves for hundreds of years. You owe us hundreds of years worth of of back pay, right? So that's what this is. This movie explores the idea of reparations and social justice. But when that happens... When they get justice, when it's actually given to them, this movie tells you that once justice is served, the people who have been oppressed and exploited will become lazy and entitled, and then the whole world will collapse because they will not work for you anymore. And because they won't work for you, they the whole world is going to just disappear. We can't grow food and vegetables and fruit. Everything is going to go, right? And so the white lady who just really wants to see a flower parade, that's her motivation here, uh, goes and is, finds a way to do this. It's up to the white woman to start working on this plan to bring flowers, again, to Central Park. The last flowers in existence, she's like, you know where we need to start working on this this pollination is in New York City, not a farm where food is being grown. Let's do it in New York where there's nothing, nothing to grow at all. But it's where she lives, so that's where it matters to her. She doesn't have a good view anymore. So she goes and makes this whole thing work. And I would argue that at the end, there's nothing that implies that anything has actually changed for any of these bees. They're back to making honey, just like they were before. There's nothing that shows that their quality of life has changed. Oh, and by the way, all this time, Barry and his hive are doing just fine. They're affluent. They're wealthy. So he comes across as like a weird whiny person who's like, oh, you're not being just. And he's like this weird representation of a social justice warrior that is weak and stupid and ruins the world when he gets his way. And it's only when they are put back in their place to work for free because they are never shown to get any compensation for their work at the end of this movie. Then it's like, see, isn't it better? Bees liked working for free, which is a racist trope used by the Jim Crow South and slaveholders generations before to help keep African-Americans enslaved by saying they like to work, they are made to work, this is the way things should be. This movie, this movie might be one of the most weirdly racist children's movies I have ever seen. Well, <laughs> that's one perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as I, as, is. As I stated, <laughs> it's not the perfect metaphor <laughs> at all. And you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to apply that particular lens of critique to this movie. Completely fair as well. In my critique, where it could have kept going with the idea of justice for the bees, this movie does something, again, genre-defying, is it just completely changes message. <laughs> From that of racial equality and compensation and workers' rights to that of environmentalism. Which does not help the other metaphor at all. No! I- <laughs> Well, and it's not even a very good environmental film either. Like, yes, you get this very end of the thing where it's like... No, I'm not saying there's nothing. Like, I mean, honestly, that's... 
where Vanessa has the right way, like, we shouldn't kill this bee. This came out in 2007. In 2007, everybody was talking, like, where are the bees going? So it actually, like, makes sense for the time it, this movie came out. She's like, don't kill the bees. We need bees to pollinate things. I'm all for it. And then they stopped pollinating everything. And then the world was good. So it's like, oh, we need to save the bees. Um, but it doesn't do a good job with that either because it doesn't put any of that in the human's hands. It's just like, it's not like, hey, we need to save the bees. They need our help. It's good thing the bees know how to carry a plane to the airport so we can get these flowers in Central Park because bees work together in this weird inspirational speech that has nothing to do with any of the conflict that came before it. So it rings totally hollow and weird. But whatever, that's just me on another side rant. Just disagree. I disagree. It's a beautiful movie. It's a be- beautiful movie. <laughs> Is it complex? The- absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely complex. But any good movie that maybe has hit some of these topics better also has flaws. Much like this movie in that it shows what is sacrificed when one way is carried out bit too hard <laughs> other things will also suffer bees is not a good metaphor for it <laughs> applied with your lens <laughs> let's go to some ratings <laughs> all right uh, ratings we need to get into this uh you chose the movie thanks for that which means i go first um uh, this movie is kind of like Birth of a Nation. Because Birth of the Nation was designed and created to support the rise of the KKK, create an atmosphere of fear in the Deep South, and to tell African Americans to not venture outside of their place, especially... Not to interact with a white woman or else. And this movie does all almost all of those same things. It just focuses on bees. But the language of this movie continually brings it back to imply that the working class of bees is somehow similar to different racial groups that might be exploited in the American economy that celebrities can culturally appropriate whenever they feel like. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Now, all that aside, I could go on for a while on that, and it's terrible. Be wrong, but but yes. (laughs) (laughs) But let's look at it. Let's look at it from just like a kids' movies perspective. I was not gonna go as low as I was as I'm going to. I was holding on the whole time. Like this isn't the worst thing I've ever seen. And honestly, still the turning not. point, <laughs> still not. Still Happy not. Feet is still worse, um, which is also DreamWorks and is terrible. Um, but my honest turning point as far as like how much I enjoyed this movie, it got real bad pretty much once they go to Los Angeles to the Tournament of Roses. And then I'm like, I hate everything about this movie because the flight back, the air, the airlines, the bees carrying the plane... The dumb speech at the end. Their weird chant about getting behind a fellow black and yellow. Hello. Like, that's a ter- There's no rhythm in this weird rhyme, and it doesn't mean anything, which is kind of how I feel about the whole movie. There's no rhythm. There's no meaning. It's just this thing that exists, and it's just out there. Um, it's a bad movie, through and through. And because of that, it gets... One star. Uh, I only have two movies ever rated that go lower than one star. And it's Airbender and Happy Feet. And, uh, anyway, one star. Gosh. Wow. Well. <laughs> I think we might have found our biggest split thus thus far on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what it would take to get a bigger split. Just an opinion of a movie. 
B movie is a Do you have this written out also? <laughs> I, sh- I should have. I should just read my <laughs> intro again for four and a half minutes. Because I stand by it. Not everything, yeah. But, um, look, B-movie, right. is it the best kids movie? Of course not. But I'm going to submit, most of the great kids movies are terrible kids movies. Things the best of Pixar or any studio. The reason why they're good is because they're not good kids movies. They are injected with over-the-top artistic things that only adults can really appreciate. And I think that shows with my interlocutor here. Oh yeah, I went there. And (laughs) clearly, childhood joy has left him. (laughs) He has some great critiques, I will say that. (laughs) But B-movie, no, it's not the greatest kids movie. It's not the worst either. I think this falls right where it landed in 2007 with like a 40 to 50 Rotten Tomatoes score. I think think it is deserving of a cult following because I think it is a hilarious movie. There are definite uh, 2007 things in it. That you will find in any 2007 movie that probably just are better left out. But they are what they are, as in Chris Rock's character, the mosquito. But, um, <laughs> still Most funny, fun. but dated. Um, so yeah, I, I think the writing, the joke writing, the, the jokes per minute, at least for the first half of this movie are really good. I think this is better than some other of the better, quote-unquote, better DreamWorks movies. If I was comparing this to Shrek, I would take this over Shrek. (laughs) And let me explain why, and then I will give my rating. Shrek, though brilliant, and was groundbreaking, I I will say that about Shrek, relies on so many pop culture nods that only get worse after the first one that defined so many movies afterwards, especially kids' movies, of just reference after reference, allusion after allusion to things in pop culture, where this movie, it has them, for sure. But again, that first half of the movie does not rely. It relies on witty one-liners that can get adults and kids laughing, silly, whimsical B-things, world-building that is very consistent and doesn't break the rules, minus the toilet bowl thing, but that has nothing to do with it. That's a physical weird thing that I don't get, but whatever. (laughs) You've seen the Lego movie? I know you have. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, and Lego, the Lego, Lego movie is great. Right. We, don't, we don't need no, to go on that rant. Lego movie <laughs> is great. I know where you're going and you're right, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the B movie is a three and a half star movie for me. I think it's funny. I think it's whimsical. I think it has problems. I think it tries to do things that, unfortunately, because it's 2007, don't quite hit the mark. But for being 2007, for being DreamWorks... Hits more social things than any other DreamWorks movie. Except maybe Megamind, but I haven't seen that in a while. And once that comes on, we're watching it. (laughs) Three and a half, baby. This is worse than anything the Bears have ever done to us. Well... Okay, what are we watching next time? There you go, everybody. (laughs) I don't know what we're watching next time. Uh, So... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we don't know what we're watching next time because we're scheming something. We're we're yeah. we're thinking of doing some October releases that have some kind of spooky theme related to them, but we are still in the the research, uh, the research phases to figure out what we're gonna try to do yeah. for October. So so no teasers there. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this especially rant filled episode. Um, Slade was enjoying I think- himself. I could tell. <laughs> 
I, I think this is one of the best episodes we've ever done. I mean, it might be. Not the it best movie, be. but one of the top episodes. <laughs> Quite possibly. Anyway, That's so we're going to wrap it up there, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Um, we'll see you here in sometime in a few weeks, probably. And uh, until then, farewell, good people. Don't stop the talk after you walk. <laughs> <laughs>